Hey guys, this is Scott, Greg, and Zach. Uh, we're here for our Behind the Message podcast and uh, just talking about what we go through, the things that we experience, the thought processes that we go through as we prepare our Sunday messages, how we create our dialogue questions, and, and getting there. And so it's good to have you here. Thanks for tuning in. So we've been in the Book of Matthew for ever. Not ever. Well, Seven years. Longer than Zach's been a part of our team. Uh, it was 2006, right? 2006. Yeah. That back, was yesterday. Back when the Marlins. No, 16. It all. <laughs> 16. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. That means I would graduate next year. Scott's stuck <laughs> a decade in the past. <laughs> yeah, we know. Him I, with his hot corners. Hey, I had I had kids in school in 2006. So. <laughs> hey, I was in school in 2006. <laughs> Scott's actually my dad. So we're wrapping up... Uh, Matthew will actually be done with Matthew by the end of December, um, which is exciting, and uh, it means we have a lot of ground to cover, and uh, we are jumping into a piece this week about, I guess I didn't, I, I knew, I know the story, but I guess I didn't hear it like preached about or sermons talked about it often, and it's this moment where uh, the Israelites are calling for the release of a guy named Barabbas rather than the release of Jesus. And so it's this moment where Jesus is before Pilate and uh, it's before his crucifixion. It's leading up to uh, the leading up to his death. And um, there's just a lot of a lot of complexities going on here. And we're really not honing on in on Jesus's suffering or death or any of that. But we're talking about, um, I guess, this moment of uh, these people's decision and why they would choose one thing over choosing God. I think a a key to the study of the last days and hours of Jesus's life is to go from do I know the timeline to do I get the application? And I think that's like a underlying foundation not only of our of this moment in our study of Matthew, but our whole going through the book of Matthew has been uh, not just looking to a quiz. Do you know what happened next? Do you know what happened next? How many people were healed? What did they have? All that kind of stuff. But rather, what is the personal application? Because uh, the initial audience of Matthew uh, didn't see this just purely as a history document, good Jesus stories, but rather as a call to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. And so today as we look at Barabbas, um, there's so many holes in the story. Who is Barabbas? Why do they want Barabbas? What's going on? But the thing that there isn't a hole in is that uh, here's a group of people that um, they knew Jesus, they knew Barabbas, and they uh, made this apparently exclamation point emotional cry to have Barabbas released and not Jesus. And it's pretty intense to me to think about somebody, think about me yelling, uh, crucify him, crucify him in a crowd. And that's where we come across that in Matthew chapter 27. And just like, like last week, we it's easy to vilify these people in this moment. Um, just like last week we talked about Judas a little bit and how it's easy to vilify Judas as evil because of what he did. Um, but I think there's something really powerful when we can step back and try to understand the why of this was happening. And we don't have all of the answers and we'll never know, but it's, I think it's a good faith exercise to step back and try to understand why these people would choose uh, Barabbas over choosing Jesus, why they would scream crucify him. And it, I think it really boils down, uh, at least in our, my reading of it, is that it has to do with an unrealistic expectation of who Jesus was. And uh, it was 
you know, we when we do pre-marriage counseling, we we all we talk about is expectations. We go through different things and trying to help uh, a couple understand what each other expects of the other, and I think that helps a lot and helps a lot in a relationship. And in the same way, these people didn't have an understanding of who Jesus was, um, or Jesus didn't live up to the expectations of who they thought he should be. They had a real need. They were an oppressed people. They experienced things that I'm glad I never have to experience. And they were trying to get out of it. These weren't evil people trying to kill Jesus. These were people trying to better their situation. And they, in this moment, were choosing the person that would they thought would better their situation. There's the Monty Python sketch of Burn the Witch that I thought of all week this week. It's a, a funny sketch where these people come and they bring this woman before the executioner and say, burn her, she's a witch, and they don't have any proof, but they just are silly about it. And that's kind of how in pop culture we might view this interaction between this crowd and Jesus. And, you know, I love Mel Gibson, but Barabbas <laughs> probably didn't have rotten teeth and Jesus probably wasn't as beautiful as the movie The Passion of the Christ portrays. I think that they probably looked really similar and uh, that's one thing that in pop culture, again, Greg said it's easy for us to vilify Barabbas, but who was he really? Was he uh, a bad guy? Was he someone who the community looked at as uh, a guy who can actually get stuff done? Why were they chanting, crucify Jesus? That's what we're getting into a lot today. Well, just over a week ago, we were talking through this and uh, we're the conversation came up that you know Jesus is dying for us, which is a moment of unmerited grace, and thinking about how Barabbas is, this is kind of a messy part of the story, but here is a guy that Jesus' death is saving a man's life who absolutely does not deserve it. And uh, I don't know, we, in that, you know, again, behind the message, for me, that's just such a hard thing to wrestle with. Because, wait, Barabbas is a bad guy. He was just this inconsequential bad guy that led to Jesus' death. But you know, Jesus was so quiet in this, this Matthew narrative of this. You know, defend yourself, rise up, call down the angels, do whatever it is. Uh, you know, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, what we'll look at here in a week is when he's hanging on the cross, um, again, they were waiting, maybe, wait, maybe Elijah will show up. And take him down. Let's wait and see. You know, there even the people had some type of expectation. If Jesus is real, he was going to stop it all. But here, it's Barabbas. Uh, we don't know uh, where he came from necessarily, or where he ended up. But boy, he received undeserved grace, which is uh, again, this is the heart of Jesus. This is who he is and what he was all about. We talked last week about just feeling like we know more than God and feeling like we have it all together and sometimes we say to God, you know, I need to help nudge you in the right direction because you're not seeing the whole picture. And it's easy for me to read this story of Jesus before Pilate and just think, why why didn't he at any point uh, just simply say one thing, give one answer to shift everything? Uh, how hard is it for me in my own life when somebody misinterprets me or they're just not seeing me right to want to defend myself. And in this moment where Jesus is being totally misrepresented to the greatest extreme that's leading to death, he chooses not to defend himself, not to say a word. I, I don't understand that because I, 
can't do that. It, Judas was the guy that knew more than Jesus, knew more than God. Uh, through his plan or his will or his try to throw his agenda into it. And then this week, again, we're not going to focus on just simply Barabbas. We're not just going to simply focus on uh, Jesus and his reactions, but rather what, what is the heart behind the crowd. And uh, we're starting off this week with a question about uh, having expectations not met. And uh, this is a common thing that we feel all the time. You know, it's like, when have I had a salesman bait and switch me? It's kind of an extreme, but it can be more like, uh, you know, you ask your children to say, take out the trash or empty the dishwasher, and they don't move. And you didn't say, now, but (laughs) expectations aren't met. You know, when I said empty the dishwasher, I meant it should have been done an hour ago, and you're just sitting there waiting until a commercial comes or whatever that is. is Expectations not being met like triggers this huge amount of emotions and that emotion in the micro scale is usually kind of irrational and a little extreme i said empty the dishwasher you know it's like it probably not that big a deal and i know that everybody else is better parent and better person than me they would never overreact i wish i had a dishwasher (laughs) (laughs) that'd be nice i said get a dishwasher (laughs) but uh you know here the thing that we're looking at today, we're going to jump off of our own missed expectations to here's a group of people, this crowd that had expectations of the Messiah, and it wasn't right. And why did they respond that way? I think you can, it's e- easy to start building perspective of what it was like to be in that crowd when we look back at our past requests from God and th- say things like, God, why didn't you? heal this person god why didn't you fix this situation god why didn't you provide a path for me in this moment and uh we have these moments where we think we know what's right or what's best and uh and then we hold those things against god when it doesn't look doesn't turn out the way that we expect it to when we take a job that we we think was the right job but all of a sudden we realize that our boss is terrible and like mm. why would god lead me to thinking this was the right job if actually it's a step backwards we uh we shot some video and i think it's kind of an, an important thing to put into the foundation is that you know you can say ridiculous unstable uh spiritually immature whatever people have unrealistic expectations of God, which those things might describe us <laughs> unstable. But, uh, but I, you know, this list of things or these things in our hearts where we go, you know, God, if if you're real, uh, why is there suffering? It, and then we throw that into an expectation on God. If God, why don't why don't you heal this person? God, why why do I struggle financially? God, why why is this relationship broken? God, why did you allow? Why did you allow? Why did you permit? Why did you do? These things uh, can not just figuratively, but like literally can lead to this moment where you are yelling out, you know, give me anybody else. Jesus, I'm done with you. And I know that each of us in our interactions with people throughout years have interacted with lots of people. And uh, there's a lot of people in our neighborhoods that have this moment where they go, well, I tried Jesus. I walked in relationship with Jesus. I was in the church, but... uh, you know, I had a need, and he didn't show up, and so I'm going to follow anybody. Give me anybody else. 
think we have to keep looking back through this whole story of Matthew and the Jewish community. What they were expecting wasn't just this singular moment in time of this guy shows up on the scene and he's going to change things. This was hundreds of years of waiting and prophecy and expectations and we have to put ourselves kind of in their shoes. What would it be like to be under the oppression of a government to have hundreds of years of just history knowing that things were bad, things are bad, but someone's coming to change them. And then to have this person show up and people are saying, wow, this guy's going to do everything. He's going to set us free. And then for him to not do it or to not give the answer. And as easy as it is for us to, again, point this finger at this crowd and say, how could they call for his execution? I think we do the same thing when God doesn't answer us, when we have those unrealistic expectations. Because it's so much easier to say, like Scott just said, wow, God, you haven't answered what I've asked you, I need to find the answer. I'm going to go find it. Can you imagine family prayer time and temple prayer time and alone prayer time for generations was, uh, we're oppressed. God, like you delivered the Egypt or the Israelites from Egypt, God deliver us. Like that was like, that had been prayed millions of times. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a Messiah shows up which there were others who claimed to be the Messiah. A Messiah shows up and... I mean, Barabbas could have been one of those. Yeah. That's the perspective. He was a, he was a one who caused insurrection. He was one who call, caused, was a you know, violent protester against the Romans. And so that seems like an answer to those millions of prayers. Mm-hmm. And Jesus uh, likes outsiders and heals poor people. Nah, that's not what I was praying for. Yeah, I think something that just came to mind too, it's not only maybe missed expectations, but uh, potentially idolizing the ideal. Yeah. Like it's this moment where they say, well, someone that's going to save us from Rome, that's going to save us from the oppression, that's going to save us from this violence, that's going to free our people. Well, it looks more like Barabbas and it looks like Jesus. It looks more like somebody who's willing to stand and fight and even potentially murder to get... Uh, get what we need and what we want and I, I guess the, a question that I just was thinking of is like what are those things that we oftentimes idolize in modern day Christianity or in modern day society we sometimes I think some of those things are our purpose we say hmm. I idolize because one time I felt like I was supposed to do this I idolize that in my life and everything else is false and I wonder I know in my life I've seen moments where God's said this is your purpose so that I would take a step that direction not so that I would go that way forever and I think we I mean we could do that with our families like I've uh, you know five years ago my father had a stroke and before that the answer to any question I had in life was whatever my dad said it was Hmm. really like this reliance on this person and uh, idolizing him as as having some more spiritual authority and and there's some truth to some of that and whatever but i do think that there's this moment where these israelites are idolizing their ideal for a messiah and they're saying barabbas is it and jesus is not it so crucify jesus we want barabbas the moment when a child i mean it starts really early and it can continue on into 20s and 30s probably but uh thinking the thing that's the most important can be way off you know a little child yeah and 40s that's fair (laughs) hey (laughs) um but 
it, we all have great potential in immaturity, which we all have, immaturity to have misguided uh, thoughts of what is the most important. And when we look at God and we go, this is the most important. It's so important that, again, purpose is a good one. Also that things are successful, whatever successful means. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, um, things are successful. God loves me. I'm blessed. I must be doing what's right. And then the opposite, which things are hard or things are challenging, means I must be doing something wrong. God doesn't love Mm me. And then when you have that, that tension, those unrealistic expectations of God, I we're going to ask the question, what are some unrealistic expectations of God? But then bridging into, what is the result of misguided expectations of God? Because uh, the missed expectation is one thing. But what that does to you is is where this this moment in the text is really shines out. When you have a misguided expectation, you can be wrong. But what is that doing inside of you? And here, these people became so disillusioned to truth, became so uh, vengeful, they became uh, you know, just illogical. And uh, maybe it was logical. Maybe that was part of the challenge. <laughs> that yeah. Unrealistic expectations just dilutes your reality. And uh, when I have an expectation that people I love will never struggle or die or uh, fail... Um, and that happens. I look at God and I just go, wow, you don't love me and you don't care. Or I'm a failure and I'm causing these things. Mm-hmm. Those are great, great results. If we look back at um, some Old Testament writing in Proverbs, there's this idea of the way that seems right to someone, but it actually leads to death. And I had always heard growing up in the church that that was... You know, if you feel like you're on the right path, you gotta you gotta question everything, and you gotta make sure you're not on the shaky ground. And sure, sometimes that can be the case, but I think that the Israelite people in this moment were experiencing this. And I look at my own life and how often I experience when I go to God and I say, "God, here's my expectation," and then He doesn't meet it, and then I say, "God, I'm gonna go find my own answer for this thing." When I finally found that answer, when I finally have gotten some kind of Uh, conclusion I think okay things are as they should be this seems right I have found what I needed and then when that thing doesn't pan out that totally makes sense to me this whole this way seems right to me God you have an answer so I'm gonna find my own way and then when it doesn't pan out just as the Israelite people experience in this moment things don't pan out after everything them choosing Barabbas doesn't set them free from Rome They, they had faith, and I think that we synonymously, maybe subconsciously, use expectation and faith as are interchangeable. And so, if I have faith that God is going to heal this person, which means I have an expectation that God's going to heal this person, and then God doesn't heal this person, what do we, what do we do with that? That's that's like this broken end, and then um, this I I hear God say things like to me again because I, I have a different type of a personality, I guess. But I feel like God is often telling me, going, you know, the reality is is that really wasn't that big a deal, and I didn't actually. He says, I hear. I don't really care about that. I know that that sounds too harsh for a lot of people, but. 
um, you know, I can say, you know, God, uh, provide finances now. And God, I hear him just go, I really don't care. And that's what's happening here is the Israelites are going, Rome's killing us. Rome's doing this. We need to, we need to get out from Rome, get out from under Rome, do all this. And then Jesus is on the, on the scene going, it's not about Rome, guys. Yeah. Which but, is much nicer. I, not that Jesus didn't care. Yeah. But he's going, you, what you see is the most important is not, I mean, it, there's, your life matters and your suffering matters. And in Exodus, we, Moses at the burning bush, God says, I've seen and heard the pain of my people back in Egypt. But we forget that that pain and suffering has been for 400 years. So when we're like, I'm a little short this month. <laughs> and we're weeping about that. You know, it's like, you know, I feel like God is going, I don't, you know, people have suffered for generations. Yeah. Genocides. I'm like, I, I don't really care. I wonder what the, the parallel is to us that we, it, today we're going, Rome is killing us. It's crushing us. We need to get out from Rome. And God's going, no, it, it's sin that's mm-hmm. oppressing you. And it's really not having a relationship with me. And I'm, Jesus is here to fix that. I think in the same way, I can be. It's so easy to be focused on those things that are so right in front of us and so painful and hard in the moment. And not that they're not painful and hard, but I think God a lot of times is like, "Why are you so focused on those things? Like those yeah. aren't those aren't your real problems." <laughs> yeah, and I mean there have been a bunch of things, and this is I, I guess this can stir the comments if people ever comment on what we write, but or say, but uh, you know there have been a lot of things that we have said as a church, American church, that these are the things that are going to kill Christianity. You know, abortion. Let's, we're going to live and die by stopping abortion. And abortion is terrible. Uh, it is it's murder. But um, uh, what is that? If we singular focus on something, what, what else are we missing? We can, uh, human sexuality is something that the church can just freak out and be focused in. Like, this is what's going to bring the end of Christianity in our world and uh you know it's an issue it's boy it's merits tons of conversation but uh is it distracting us and what if jesus is going i'm here to deliver you from the slavery of sin not just uh the radical right or the radical left it's amazing we see after jesus dies and resurrects and comes back to meet his disciples we'll get into this in the next few weeks but just this life shift that these disciples experience these people who had failed so miserably at points then step into some kind of life that empowers them for decades forward a lot of them go and they die for this cause of jesus and that's such a different picture to me than all right god you haven't answered me now i've found my own answer now i've finally found life uh, I think I've missed it, and I think we miss it as a church when we make it about those things. God, answer this question. God, fix this thing. Uh, let's focus really hard on this thing. Those things can be important, but if we're missing the main point in the middle of all of it, I think we're truly missing real life. We're going to end with a question, just bringing this tension between what is the Messiah, the Savior that you want, and the Messiah and the Savior that you have. And... I think that leads to, there's a need to make some definition and verbalizing what is the Savior that you want. And then 
It also, he, I think it's even valid to say, what is the savior or Messiah that you feel like you need? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's even that's better yet because that's what they were. That's what was we happening. Need, this yeah. is, we need Barabbas to be our revolutionary. We need to mm-hmm. maybe I don't. We don't know what actually. Is going well, they to definitely happen. didn't see Jesus as the savior they needed. No, which is funny because. A few days earlier, they did. Yeah, the triumphal entry. They were so excited, yeah. but that I crumbled quickly. But then to to verbalize what is the savior, the Messiah that you have, and uh, you know you can look at uh, human relationship and this, and you can say, um, what what is the result of saying, you know, this is the spouse that I need, and you are the spouse that I have. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you don't bring resolve to that, it's divorce. It's yeah. the relationship is broken. You know, I this is this is the best friend that I need. This is the confidant that I need. This is the job that I need, and then this is what I have. And if you just go, well, that doesn't match up. I quit you. I quit you. I quit you. And that's exactly where these people were. Is I quit you from Jesus. Thousands of people thronging, just celebrating Jesus to going, nope, this is what we need, and this is who you are, broken. And Christianity can be really quick to say, uh, just ignore those things, just love Jesus, just show up to church, if you could tithe, that would be great. You know, like, we, uh, but if we don't wrestle with that tension and bring that tension to the surface of the Savior that we think we need and the Savior that we do have, uh, faith will lead to an end. There will be a moment where we will divorce ourselves from our faith. Mm-hmm. And all of us, and anyone listening to this, if you dig into relationship that surrounds you, and probably even in ourselves at moments where we've had this tension and we've had moments of separation and even divorce in our faith, and that's everywhere around us. And we can ignore it and say, those people are stupid, they didn't get it right, uh, they must not have ever had faith. Well, uh, I think it's got to come to the surface because after the surface can come, again, restoration of relationship. Yeah, guys, so this one was so easy to wrestle with. Sweet! <laughs> That's a funny way to put it. I know. It's so true. Oh, this was a good one to wrestle with. But, I mean, there's no pretty bow to tie at the end of this. This is really each of our own responsibilities to, to wrestle through this. Like, who's the God that I want or feel like I need right now? And how does that match up with who Jesus is? And what do I do with the, that difference? And, uh... I think that's a lifelong process and faith is a lifelong process and um i don't know just encourage anyone listening to like we have a friend who comes every tuesday morning to our team prayer and uh he says all this stuff is crazy it doesn't make sense prayer even doesn't make sense but he's committed to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. and uh i don't know i think that's what this question these questions at the end is encouraging me to uh Yes, wrestle with it. Yes, doubt. Yes, have conversation. But don't throw Jesus out. Don't join that crowd. Don't say, don't join the crowd saying crucify him. Uh, recognize who Christ is and and who he is in your life. Thanks for listening. Uh, we we try to do this every week. Again, we are Corner Church in Minneapolis. Our passion, our mission is to do church within walking distance of everybody in the urban dense parts of our city. And... Uh, we're, we're always honored to be a part of our communities, and if you're in our neighborhood or if you're close by, we'd be honored if you swang by and talk to us. We know a good place to get a cup of coffee. Um, and beyond just listening to this or sharing this, the best thing is to extend this conversation, have this conversation with people that surround you. 
Have a great week. See you guys.